Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Well, I truly do believe that I don't undervalue my wife and do believe that my kids are well-behaved for the most part, but I don't realize just how much she does to keep our home in order until she's gone with 70 other women at a women's retreat, and I spend the whole weekend with my kids. So there are a bunch of women, 70 women have been up at, the, up at McCall all weekend, hopefully pushing into the Lord, pushing into Scripture, pushing into each other. And so I want to real quickly just pray for them as they travel back down, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability for uh, these women to go north, to spend time uh, digging into your word, hearing from your word, and digging into community. God, I pray that the work you did up there wouldn't just be something that was a weekend experience, but instead would be something that comes back and changes uh, their workplace, their homes, their families. God, it changes this church for your better. I pray that you would bring them all home safely. I pray that you would just allow them to have made relationships that aren't just weekend relationships, but things that they would both, both sides of the relationship would continue to push into each other to be unified because it is one spirit, one God, one baptism that we are serving, God. It only makes sense for us to do this together. And so, God, I thank you for the time that they had. I thank you for all those women that were able to go up north. And I do, I do pray, that, um, I pray that you'd be glorified in and through them and the work you did for them over this weekend. We look forward to seeing what it does and how it changes um, your kingdom down here in, in, in Boise to be more like it is in heaven. We praise you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. This section is kind of a continuation of the previous chapter, but it's also, really, this is kind of meant to be one conversation through the entirety of chapter 9, but I wanted to save you guys' hearts and minds and, and keep you awake, so I'm not decided to break this section up as opposed to doing it all in one, but we're going to get kind of the, the first part of this section and then go to the second part. That being said, because of it being broken up, uh, this is one of those sections of Scripture that because of where we're pausing, it's going to force us to, to look at the application for this section as if this is what the, really the text is about. And I don't necessarily say that this is the entirety of what the text is about. The text is really more about what we're going to talk about next week. And so I will we'll dig in, we'll work through this a little bit, but I want to make sure um, that we also understand that this is just kind of the beginning of a discussion. This was not meant to be read in chapters and broken up week by week by week. This was meant to be all read in one sitting. And that's how the, the people of Corinth had heard it originally. And I would encourage you to carry on. We're going to sit through chapter 9. 1 through 14, I would encourage you to read the rest of 9 this week and, and prepare yourself and, and go from there. So let's, let's dig in. Chapter 9, verse 1 through 14. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat or drink, eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? 
Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing of the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not, even, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So the, the Apostle Paul is, is inspired by God digging into the questions again that came from him while he's in Ephesus after he'd been away from this church. He planted this church. He was a part of sowing the seeds and helping all of these people that were, that were not of Jewish descent, kind of Gentile people that were living a whole life of, of worshiping pagan gods, coming to faith in Christ. And this is, this is one of the questions that comes back to him. Um, before, before we move forward, I kind of want to establish this uh, again. This this isn't a message to try and convince you to give money to the church. I, I want to just really clearly say that. I think a lot of people can use this text to say, oh, okay, we're going to talk about money and, and, and taking care of ministers. That is in here, but that's not the main point of this text. Really, the application within the context of the section is to establish a couple things. One is that it is not wrong for a vocational minister to receive goods for sowing spiritual things. That's not wrong, but that's not the main point. The main point is really what we'll get into next week, which is, is, is that we can have these freedoms, but what does it look like for us to lay aside these freedoms for the sake of the gospel? And that's really what this subject is. It's in the beginning. Remember, if we talked about in chapter 8, there were people that were, that were overusing their freedoms and liberties, and they were, they were chasing and feeling like they could do whatever they want because they were free to do it, and mainly around the, idols, uh, the meat sacrificed to idols was the conversation. So this is kind of just lobbed in here, and it seems like a deviation because he pulls in another aspect. But this is something that's really, really, really a big problem. And why is this even a problem? There were many sophists, um, intelligent people that would come to town in Corinth. And when they came, people just loved intellectual conversations. So they come and listen to these people. And the better they were, the more they charged to listen. And then they would tease out subjects and they would say these things, well, in a private class, I'll do this. And so they would, they would basically take money to share their intellect. And so what had happened in the Corinthian people is that the Corinthian people believed that to be of value, if you're really good at what you're doing, if you were really solid and you had something to share that was so valuable, then it must cost us something. But when the apostle Paul came, he didn't take anything from them. He didn't take any money from them. In fact, he's a tent maker. We see that out of, a, out of Acts. He, he is a bivocational minister. He, he has work that he does on the side to help support himself in this. He's not completely not taking support. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But because of the fact that he was a tent maker, he was doing something that basically most of the Corinthian people would have seen was like, hey, if you are really an apostle of God, like the other apostles, Cephas, which is Peter, or Apollos, or any of these, or not Paulus, but any of these other apostles, you would have taken money. You would have, you would have expected money to come, and we would have been having to give this to you. And so really, that's what's at play here. That's why this is even a subject. And that's why this is a continuation of the idea of having a freedom, but not completely taking it. And we're going to talk more about that part of it next week in the rest of chapter 9. 
So that's the, the issue that's going on, is that there's a question basically that he's, he's being called again into, am I, am I an apostle or not? That's one of the things that have been a question for a while. And, and he establishes in this text, hey, this is how you can know I'm an apostle, and this is how you can know that I have a right to take these things, but I haven't. And so verses one, he says, I have a right to eat and drink. And this is, um, this is not a continuation of the food sacrificed idols. This is, this is actually just talking about having the right that, is, that, that, that Corinthians uh, had questioned Paul, that he has the right to eat and drink at the expense of the church. It was very common for a missionary or a, a, a minister of God's word to show up somewhere and to be taken care of, their physical needs taken care of. They would have had food and drink, and this is, this is what was expected of them. In fact, all of the other apostles were doing this. They would show up to a place and they would experience the church taking care of their physical needs. And then he goes on and says, do I not have a right? These are all rhetorical questions, by the way. Do I not have a right to take a believing wife? And he goes into that. The reason why he's saying that is not because, hey, should I be married or not? We've already had that conversation in chapter seven. He's talking about the fact that even the, the believing wives that were with the apostles their needs need to be met too. And so that's what he's establishing. So when he starts and says, am I not free? What he's saying is, 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 he, is he under any authority other than Christ? He said, I'm free. Am I not free to do what God commands me? This is my purpose. There's no one else above me. Now here's why that's important for us to hear in this text. A lot of times what would happen is, is because of big donors, and unfortunately you can see this in the church today, but um, this is one of the reasons why I refuse to see any of the finances uh, on an individual level for people because I don't want this to ever happen or anyone to assume this happens. But in this day, what would happen is, is there would be wealthy donors or people that would give more money to take care of these speakers, these pastors, these, these ministers. And so then they would say, hey, I want you to share my political agenda. Hey, would you, would you do me a favor? And they would, they, would, they would pull in these favors. And so then the, the minister of God's word, the, the, the preacher, or the, if it was just a sophist and they were just teaching intellect, they had to figure out what intellectual conversations. They would just have to figure out a way to kind of to, to, to pull for someone else. And like, well, okay, well, so I'm going to bring up the subject about this person, this political agenda, or this market, and why the food is best in this place. And so when he says, am I not free? He's saying, look, there's no compulsion to do anything that anyone would want because no one owes me. I don't owe anyone anything. Am I not free? I'm not under anyone else's authority other than God. I don't have to, to do any other teaching. I don't have to, to, to lend myself, to give myself in any way because no one is able to say, well, hey, 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 remember, I, I fed you. Hey, I gave this to you. Hey, I did these things for you. You owe me. There's none of that. He says, am I not free? These are all rhetorical questions that just the way he's laying these out, just the way that God is doing this, the answers to these are very common to these people. So when he says, am I not free? That wouldn't have been a question that they would have been like, well, I don't know. Are you or are you not? They would have said, oh yeah, you are free. These are all questions that would have been yes to. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Now this is important. In Acts, we see Jesus come to Paul in a vision on the road to, to Damascus, right? He's, he's strict blind. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? The apostle Paul says that this isn't just a vision that the, he actually saw Jesus Christ, which is important because of Acts 1.22 tells us that the apostles are to be pulled from someone that sees Christ personally. So this experience with Jesus wasn't just some vision. It was that he met Jesus. He saw Jesus multiple times on the road to Damascus. So he has said, look, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? How many other people have been blinded by Christ in the middle of the road while you're trying to persecute him and his followers? Have I not experienced Christ? Therefore, I'm an apostle. And then the next question, the last one, 
that, that kind of makes this point of, of hey, I'm an apostle. He's going to dig into his apostleship more in 2 Corinthians. That's really where he kind of pulls this whole examination out. We also talked back in chapter 1 and 2 where this was being called into question a little bit. And we talked about it there. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. But his last reason to identify and say, like, I am an apostle, is, is he looks and he says, are you not my work in the Lord? And this is one of those things that, that no one in Corinth could argue. Their reason for knowing God and understanding the gospel was because the apostle Paul was sent by God to them to share the gospel. So them even believing, they can't argue that. They can't, they can, well, I, maybe it would have come someone else. No, the only reason why Cephas and other people, or whether uh, Peter or his people, or Apollos or those, any of those other people were there, was because God used the apostle Paul to do the breakthrough of the missionary journey there. So he says, are you not my workmanship? He's not claiming their, their salvation as if he did it. He's saying, God used me to be a vessel to speak to the Gentiles, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The rest of the apostles were doing it to the Jews. God used me to reach the Gentiles. And he says, are you not, you're the, the seal of my apostleship. This is a seal with something that we don't use very often. We just kind of lick it and stick it and put our name on it, right? The seal is this, the way you would seal a letter, which is basically adding validity to you that this is my letter. This is my writing. I'm the one that's on this. I've played a role in this. It was, it was very, it was your own crest. It was about a family dynamic usually. And it was something that everyone had that was anyone. And this would be their, hey, this is my seal of approval. I have stamped this. And he's saying, look, you guys being followers of Jesus, you guys being surrendered to Jesus, you're my seal. So he establishes right in the first four questions, like, here, look, I'm an apostle and here's why. This is how you can know I'm an apostle. And then he goes on to, do I not have right to eat and drink? Do I not have right to take a believing wife? And all of those subjects and all of those things he's saying, as do the other apostles. Now, this is what's interesting. Most of the apostles were apparently married. Most of them, we know that. And their wives traveled with them as they did ministry. One of the other interesting things is Cephas is, is another word, name for Peter. Peter was married. If you think about how Catholicism works with, with the church and the first pope in contradiction to the principle of mandatory celibacy, like that, that's in the face of the fact that we understand like there's multiple places in Scripture that talk about Peter being married. And so he's saying, look, all of these other apostles are married. Am I not free to take a believing wife? Again, we talked about this, and I just want to pause on it. As a believer, you should look for a believer in marriage. This is what the, the scriptures are talking about here. But he says, I'm free to do this. And even then, if my wife were with me, isn't she free to eat and drink? Shouldn't she be cared for? Shouldn't she be taken care of? What he's asking is, is similar to all the other apostles, is what they do, which is why the Corinthian people were actually questioning whether or not he was an apostle because he wasn't doing that. And right? you see what's happening here? He's saying, he comes back to the very argument that they say, this is why you're not an apostle. And he says, no, 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 I'm free to do exactly like them. He ends it with this rhetorical question. Or are Barnabas and I the only ones that can't do this? We can't take a believing wife. We can't, we can't expect the church to, to support us. We can't expect the church to, to meet our physical needs, to feed us and to, to give us something to drink and to house us. Are we the only ones and he goes on in chapter, in chapter 8, and this is a section where he's pulling um, a section of Scripture that actually doesn't really apply the way he's using it, but he makes sense to the application of it. He uses Deuteronomy 25, 4 in verses 8. He says, um, do I say these things on human authority? Meaning, is it really the, uh, uh, oh, sorry, before that one, hit that. The, the rhetorical questions, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? A sold, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Those were all very common questions professions. He's saying, look, a soldier wouldn't expect to bring their own lunch 
pack their own lunch and bring the, we got to go do grocery shopping while I'm out at war. No, the food is provided for them. Right? This, is, this, is, this is just common. Why would they ever expect it? And he says the same thing of a vineyard. Why, why wouldn't someone who plants a vineyard take the fruit of it? It doesn't make sense. This is, that is common knowledge. It's, it's perfectly normal for that. Or those who tend to flock without getting some of the milk. If you're watching the flock, it would just make sense that you would get milk. So he, he lands on this idea that would make a lot of sense on the human level, okay? On the human level, they all, they all believe, okay, we're supposed to, this makes sense. A soldier gets their food from the, within the army. They, they provide for them. That makes sense because they're there doing a work. Same with the, the, the reaping the, the, the harvest and the, the taking the milk and the flock. Okay, that all makes sense. And then he says, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same thing? He goes to the Mosaic law and he quotes Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. He says, he says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, this text was specifically dealt with in the Mosaic law for oxes. This was for the animals. So it's not, this is why it's a little interesting that he applies it this way. It makes sense. But this was for animals. They, they, the ox would kind of would move, and as they were pu- pulling grain, the grain would open out. And they would, some people, if they were really selfish, they would muzzle the ox so the ox couldn't eat. And, and in, in the Mosaic law, that's just not right. Let the ox eat. Let them enjoy the, the eat of their, what they're doing and the fruit of their labor. This makes sense. Now, he applies this in a really brilliant way. He says, he says, is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Maybe the word merely would be a better thing. Is it merely about the oxen that God is concerned? 10a then could read, surely as he says this also for us. So he's not claiming that this quotation from the Mosaic law never had anything to do with oxen. That's not the case. In fact, it truly had to do with oxen. But he's also applying it, saying, look, it makes sense for this to be applied to people because we know as valuable as the ox is to God, we are made in his image. If he's going to say that the ox is willing, is is able to to not be muzzled, why would he then say his minister should be muzzled? And so he applies it in a way that's really creative, basically using an imagery favored by Jesus in the parables of seed and sowing, the preaching of the gospels like planting a crop and making disciples like harvesting. So if oxen should not be muzzled as they plow, neither should preachers be prevented from eating due to lack of support from those among whom they minister. You can see that in Galatians 6, 6 and Romans 15, 27. This is, this is what he's getting to. He's saying, look, it's not just common sense that a soldier should get his food provided, get his food provided for him. It's not just common sense that, that a minister should be taken care of, but it's also, it's also in the law. It's in the scripture. It makes sense. And then what he does in verse 11, he says, if we then have sown if we then have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So he's establishing this, saying, look, we have every right, every right as your leaders to expect from you to take care of us. Every right, that's what he's saying. He's establishing it, not just, not just by common sense, not by human standards, but that makes sense too, but also by Mosaic law. And then he, he hits the idea that it's, it's commanded by Jesus, and, and we'll get there in just a second. But he's saying, do we not have a right to do this? This is something that we should, we should get. This makes no sense for us to not do it. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Now, here's the interesting about 12. What he's saying is that it's, it's, it's obvious, or what we can find from history is that the Corinthian people are actually supporting others. They were doing this with Apollos or Cephas or Cephas's people, depending upon if Peter actually came or if it was just his disciples. Right? They, they, were, they were doing this very thing with others. So he's saying, if you're doing it with them, why wouldn't we have the right to have it too? Wouldn't it make sense for you to do it with us as well? 
And then he says this one statement that it seems like he's going to actually do the yes, but, like he's been doing in chapter 8, but he kind of holds out. And he says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. This is the beginning point that really picks up again in verse 15 where it says, but, but I have made, and we'll talk more about that in next week. He's saying, look, nevertheless, we haven't taken use of this. We haven't made use of this. He establishes the fact that he has every right to ask for things. Every right, he shouldn't even have to ask. He just establishes the fact that he should show up. People should have food for him. And if he had a wife, they should have it for her and, and they should be willing to take care of it. It just makes sense because he has sown spiritual things. He's not supposed to be muzzled. He's supposed to serve and he does this. And everyone's like, okay, this makes sense. But he says, nevertheless, I haven't done it because I don't, I don't in any way want to cause a stumbling block for the gospel. And that's, that's where he's going. This is what all of chapter eight was. If you have right to eat meat sacrificed idols, should you still do it? This is a continuation of that conversation. He says here, he says, do you not know that those, verse 13, who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. Now, temple here is not meant to be the pagan temple. This is used in a singular tense. This is going back to the Jewish temple. This is the idea that those that were in the temple, the people that worked in the temple, they were able to eat of the sacrificed meat. This was the way that they fed themselves. Even in Levitical law, the, the, the tribe of Levites were allowed to get 10% from every other tribe. So they had land. This is something that, that God has always put in place, that the ministers of the gospel, those that, that work for God, are meant to be taken care of by those outside of that role. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, the, the temple, they eat. This is normal. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, we actually don't have a direct quote of Jesus commanding this. The best assumption, the way the scholars go, is, is Matthew 10.10, 10, or, or the cross-reference of it in Luke as well. But Matthew 10.10 10 says, when Jesus sends out his disciples, he says, take no bag for your journey. He sends them out to go, I want you to go and, and tell about the good news. Remember, this is a, if they don't receive you, just wipe the dust from your sandals and move on. This is where that context is, right? He goes, but he says, take no bag for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals, or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. He's sending them out saying, look, the people that you are going to reach and share the gospel, they're going to take care of you. This is the way the gospel works. They're going to take care of you. I think it's important for us to understand that the Apostle Paul didn't ask for any resources from the church in Corinth here, but he did receive resources from other churches. We see that in Acts 16 and 17. In the, in the area of Macedonia, the church of Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi, those churches were all supporting the Apostle Paul financially. So he was kind of a, a bivocational missionary. He did, he, he tent made in his, in his spare time, whatever time he wasn't being you know, completely beat up for the gospel or sharing it. He was making tents and then he would use that money as supplement, supplemental income, but then the other churches would come to there. So then this has to, we have to kind of land on this here today. And then, like I said, we'll dig into it more next week. We have to understand two things. One is, is, is that he has a right to expect to be taken care of. There's, there's no reason why he doesn't. In fact, in this scripture, most of this is talking about um, apostles other than verse 14, makes it not just apostles. It says, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel. So this is just anyone that works for the gospel should be living by the gospel. So it's not just singular to the apostles. It's saying that ultimately they're all to be taken care of. So he receives income from other places, but he has, for some reason, opted not to take it from the church in Corinth. 
not to ask for it, not to expect it. In fact, he's rejected it. He's withdrew from it. He pulled back and said, I don't need it. So, so why is that? We're going to know a lot of why next week. But he says, I, I wanted to, to not have any stumbling block for the sake of the gospel. He kind of teases it out in, in, verse, in verse 13. Nevertheless, we have, made, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than what? Put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now think about this. In Corinth, if every single person that has any kind of prominence or does any kind of speaking is getting financial support, what makes the gospel different? And so because of the way that Corinth was operating and the way that they saw wonderful communicators and how they they saw them valued by dollar amounts, the more wonderful they were, the more worth they were to give more money to, to take their classes. He had, and we wanted no part in that. He's like, I'm not going to let that happen because you can't buy the gospel. The gospel is free. And it's not done by eloquent words of man. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how much I stumble in my words. It doesn't change the validity of the truth. And so a lot of scholars seem to believe that the reason why he didn't accept rich support from Corinth was because of the fact that if he did come in and do that, and they did pay him in that way, that they would have just been lined him up with all the other sophists and all the other people that were speaking and doing that. It is kind of funny, though, because the fact that he didn't do it is the reason why they're calling his apostleship into question. So what do we see in this? We see Paul's real heart. Paid or not paid, it did not matter to him. What mattered was the work of the gospel. Was it more effective for the gospel if Paul should receive support? Then he would receive it. Was it more effective for the gospel if Paul should work to the support himself? Then he would do that. What mattered was that the gospel not be hindered in any way. Now, the application for us today, real quickly before we go back into worship. You can make a very strong case out of the scripture here that people like me in my role are justified to get paid in ministry. And the reason why I bring that up is not because like, hey guys, I need more money. No, God is taking care of us. We're doing great. But because I have heard way too many people say, you know what? I just, I want to go to church where someone's not paid as if that's a biblical belief. The scriptures lay it out right here. This is, this is exactly what he's saying. He's saying we have the right those who minister in the gospel. So that means that if you're like, I've heard people say, I just don't really want to give to the church because I'm tired of it going to salaries of people. How selfish and, and narrow-sighted and, and mis, misinformed is that, that thinking? Remember people, the same people say things like, well, I, just, I, I don't want to give money to chairs or lights as they sit comfortably in a chair in a well-lit room. Right? This is, this is, there's, a, there's a heart condition that brings in that. And I don't want to over-apply this because, again, like I said, I'm not saying I believe that none of you think that and you're all like so excited about the fact that God has provided for my family and the families of the staff to do what God has commanded us here. I believe that. But I also see this happen over and over and over again with missionaries, people that have given everything, everything to go and, and reach those people and to lose the comforts of home to do it. We have Brent Halverson as one of our missionaries here he has worked tirelessly, guys, for two years to raise the support needed to go and do what he believes, what the elders believe, and everyone around him believe he is supposed to do for God's work. He's 89% there. Join me in praying for the 11% or join me in giving to help make that 11% up because he's worthy of it. Not because he's special, but because he's submitted to the Lord and he's accountable to God and he's submitted to authority. And he's doing what God is commanding of him. And guys, I'm telling you right now, the, the fruit that happens in our, in our world because of people getting up and leaving, whether that's getting up and leaving the country or getting up and leaving their comfort of their home or getting up and just standing in front of a church, it's incredible what God can do with people that minister to him. It's, it's sad to me that many people question that. And here's real talk. 
I know, I know for a fact that many have exploited this. That many have stood in my position or have been missionaries that have completely exploited the funds. They're, they're, they're not accountable. They're not doing any of those things. I, I, I want to acknowledge that. Some of you have been burned by someone. someone. Some of you right now are holding on to money because you're like, I remember what they did. And I didn't like how they used that money for that. And I did this. And you got this just kind of this bitterness in you that's feeling, Here, here's the thing. Here's, you want to be free? Here's, here's the most freeing thing. It doesn't matter what they do with it. Here, here's the, at the end of the day, if God asks you to give to something, all you are to do is obediently give. It doesn't matter if they burn it and send it up as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You're not accountable for that. They are. Brent is accountable for the dollars that are given to him on a regular basis. I am accountable for this. The church is accountable. Let us be accountable to the Lord. Trust me, it's way worse to be accountable to the Lord than to you. So you don't have to worry about what they do or don't do it. Prayer, pray, seek wisdom, be discerning. Don't just throw money everywhere, right? But be obedient to it because a labor is worth their wage. They shouldn't be muzzled. Way too often I've seen people sacrifice so much of their own personal stuff because they believe in what God has commanded them while there are many people around them that could easily help shoulder that burden, but they choose not to. So again, that's not the main point of this text, although I think that is true. We can't hold everyone accountable to this. We just have to be accountable to God. Here's the thing. If you withhold because of what you see in some poison that's happened in the past, you're accountable to the fact of not being a good steward of what God has entrusted you. That's, that's what this means. Next week, we'll dig deeper into not taking advantage of our freedoms for the gospel's sake and what that looks like. And I think that's the main point of this text. And so the, the band's gonna come up and we're gonna, we're gonna worship some more. I, I wanna leave you with a few things. First off, if you, um, if you have the ability to meet the need for anyone that's ministering in the gospel, do so. Don't hold back. Maybe the need is just to encourage them. Maybe the need is just to come alongside them and say, hey, I, I, I don't have any money because I've, I've, I've committed it elsewhere or whatever it may be or the Lord isn't freeing me up, but I want, I want to be in this with you. I want to be someone that you can call when you're frustrated because trust me, ministers get frustrated. I want to be someone that you can count on to come and help you. Maybe it's like, I can't give of any money, but I can give of time. What can I do to serve you? You know, Brent's going to be leaving for six months at a time. He has a house here. Maybe there's a way that we could say, hey, I can't give you money, but can I mow your lawn for you? Can I help you in any way, shape, or form? Because this is, this is the, the purpose of the church, is to support one another. And right now, this is one of the few texts, believe me, I don't, I don't get comfortable. I'm not very comfortable up here talking about like, hey, support us. Support everyone else but me. I'm fine with that, okay? But, but here's, here's the way. The scriptures talk about this. The church in Corinth had lost its way and believed that, that because the apostle Paul wasn't taking anything, therefore he didn't deserve it. And the Apostle Paul, through Scripture, through Jesus Christ's commands, through the Mosaic Law, and through just basic human wisdom, lays out the fact that every person that's a minister of the gospel deserves their wage. And so uh, my last plea as we get ready to dig into this would be, would you be willing to do something that I have felt over the years many times, but I want to invite you to do again? Um, would you be more adamant about praying for those that minister in the gospel? Not just here, not just our elders and our staff, but just, just for people that are around the world. Because, look, the best way that the enemy attacks the gospel is by taking out those that are ministering to it. And it just, it, just, it just wrecks. It wreaks havoc. We have seen churches fold because of just ill people. And like, like yes, God will continue to build his church and he will continue to be victorious. But it is it's just unbelievable how much collateral damage comes when this isn't done well. And so would you just, maybe it's not a money thing at all. Maybe it's just you like, man, I need to be praying for, for my pastors more. I need to be praying for those that are ministering. I need to be praying for the missionaries that are working tirelessly for the gospel. Maybe that's all you take from today. 
And then next week, as we land on this, you'll understand more of why it's so unique that the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, went to this idea of his own rights to make a point about the gospel. And that's what we'll talk about next week. God, thank you for giving us the work. God, thank you for providing for my family. I know that it's, it's never, it never seems like it's, it's short of a miracle just how easily you do it for us. God, thank you for the way that you continue to provide for ministry, God, for Brent and his fundraising. I pray that that 11% would disappear tomorrow. I pray that, um, God, I pray that you do a mighty work. I pray for every missionary that is confident and supported that you are doing a work. God, I pray that the people around them would come and say, you are worthy of your labor. And that people would see that they're not just throwing money at a missionary, but they're throwing money to you for your kingdom purposes, for your glory. And they're accountable to what they do. They're not accountable to what they do with it. They're accountable to what they give. And so, God, we thank you for the ability to, um, to, to support one another. I thank you for the way, again, that you have provided for this church. It is incredible to think about how many times we just prayed and said, well, Lord, it's in your hands, probably more often than we should have um, in, an, in, an, in a budgeting sense. But, God, we just thank you for always showing up and never, ever, ever giving us um, doubt that you're in this, Lord. We thank you for this time. We pray that as a community of people that we would look as we spend this time in this next week praying about and looking what the rest of chapter 9 says. God, I pray that we would see the ways in which um, the gospel is being hindered because of things that we are doing in our freedoms, God. We look forward to seeing what you do in and through us for your kingdom's purpose. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.